a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Never seen the sky so blue. The birds are singing, I got nothing to do. Hey, 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 hey. It's a sunny day. Sunny day now. My pocket's empty, my cupboard's bare. But call me illogical, I just don't care. Hey, hey, hey. It's the KSL Greenhouse. Expert tips for flowers, trees, gardens, and soil. Our hosts are Maria Chaleos and Ton Bettis on KSL News Radio. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. We'll be taking your calls in just a minute. Number to call 801 575 8255. You can also text us at 57500. Starting the 10 o'clock hour, uh, trying to pre- help people best prepare their soil for new turf. And this is really pretty important, Tom, because if you don't prepare the soil well, grass seed isn't going to do well. It's not. And we get a lot of calls saying, hey, my grass died out over the summer due to the grubs or due to fungal diseases. And can I put down grass seed and just regenerate the lawn? And a lot of times we just want to spread it over the top of the dead grass. And that's just not when as effective. It's not as effective or not effective at all. Mm-hmm. And so you really should, if you can, and you're reseeding to start new lawn or even resodding in those dead areas, you need to tear out all the old grass and get down to the soil and then prep that soil well. And if you can afford it, get a couple inches of compost to till in. If not, till the soil level it and then put the grass seed down with about a quarter to a third of an inch of peat moss or finely ground compost to help hold the water in. And the reason we're talking about this right now is that late August into early September is the perfect time of year to reestablish your lawn. And so go ahead. Sorry, I thought you were going to say something. I cut you off. And so the soil is warm because of the summer, mm-hmm. and so the seed's going to germinate more quickly than in the spring. And many weed seeds have programmed into them that they won't germinate until spring. And so late summer, you have far fewer weeds to deal with, and it's easier for the grass to establish than planting in the spring. You do need to consider weeds, though, because if you, you really have bind weed growing in there already, you're going to take want to take care of that before Yeah, you're never going to get rid of it, but at least before you start, use something like Roundup or Killzall to knock the bindweed back and slow it down. There's some other products like the Image All-in-One Lawn Weed Killer. Your reseeding interval is longer than what glyphosate is, but at least spray it with the glyphosate a week ahead of doing your renovation so that you at least make the bindweed sick so that it doesn't come up as much. And so 
during this period of time, if when your grass is getting established and you want to seed around six or seven pounds of grass seed per thousand square feet, uh, I would seed it a little thicker so it fills in more quickly to suppress the weeds, but you won't be dealing with weeds like crabgrass and just many others because they won't want to germinate until the next year. The next question people seem to ask is, do I need to put down any special nutrients like fertilizer to make sure that I'm successful? Not necessarily, but a fertilization doesn't hurt because is that grass is getting reestablished, especially if you haven't fertilized your lawn in the last six weeks or so. Mm-hmm. A light fertilization, you know, and there's seed starters out there, but straight nitrogen is probably fine. But just a fertilization when you put the grass seed down will benefit the grass and help get it established more quickly. And again, we are approaching that time when it'd be the best for you to actually get this work done. It really is. And I've seed, I usually seed my lawn in late summer into early fall, and I have really good results. Okay. Anything else that you wanted to recommend? Because it's hot, uh, you do want to cover that seed up with that mulch or that compost, either the peat moss or, you know, a third of an inch of the finely ground compost. Mm -hmm. And that will help keep the seed wet because it can't dry out once you've applied it and started watering. Mm -hmm. And so you do need to be a little more careful about making sure that you keep water on there and that the soil doesn't dry out. And it's going to take more attention than what you would do in the spring because of the warmer temperatures. Okay. And we've put up a fact sheet on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page that you can check out. We're going to come back with your calls. Doug and Mel are on the line already. Number to call, 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Anton with you, taking your calls, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. Doug has been waiting very patiently on the line from South Weber. Good morning, Doug. What was your question? Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, uh, what I have is, uh, I guess I'm an impatient uh, gardener, uh, in the, especially in vegetable planting in the early spring. What I did is I planted uh, some cucumbers, thinking they was going to come up by seed, and uh, it really didn't look like they were going to come up. So I went ahead and planted some zucchini nearby, and lo and behold, everything uh, grew. And so I had zucchinis coming through and around my uh, cucumbers, or vice versa. And, uh, man, they've been the best cucumbers I've had since. Hmm. Uh, it's Mark, uh, I think it was Wisconsin seed that I planted. 
But I just wanted to know, is that a healthy practice, or I just thought it was a surprising thing? I heard that the Indian uh, Native American uh, times that they had a, a thing called Trinity in planting, that they'd put a bunch of uh, plants together to make sure things wouldn't well, get in. Well, they would them. plant corn and then plant squash among the corn, and the corn would shade the squash so that yeah. it would produce more fruit but i mean normally that's not recommended because as it grows it can kind of make a mess but if it's working for you i mean these gardening rules aren't something so hard and fast that some secret gardening police are going to show up and arrest you because you did that so if it's working for you even though the fact she say don't do it i would run with it because you know, you're the gardener and you know what works for you. And if you wanted to try it again next year and get good results, I would say go with it. And if anybody criticizes it, tell them to go jump in a lake. Tell them it's always an experiment. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's a better response. <laughs> All righty. Thank you so much for your show. It's wonderful. Thanks, Doug. Thanks for your call this morning. Uh, next listener, Ton, says, what is the best way to get rid of earwigs around roses? We've talked about this about around other plants, and I would encourage them to download USU's fact sheets on earwigs because it'll give you a lot of non-pesticide methods of reducing their numbers. If they're eating your flowers and your flowers are looking a little bit worse for wear when they open up because the earwigs fed on them, you could try a... Uh, general yard and garden spray a couple of times to see if you could at least repel them that way. But I would really look into the non-pesticide trapping methods using the newspaper rolled up or folded over in the garden bed overnight, dumping them into soapy water or some of the traps made from butter dishes and Cool Whip dishes where you put a third of an inch of oil in the bottom with tuna fish and soy sauce because they're stinky and then put holes in the top of the lid and let them drop in and drown that way. But try those methods. And if they don't work, you can true you, then you can turn to some stronger insecticides. We were talking about spurge at the top of the hour and how to get rid of that hateful stuff. And one of our listeners says, I don't hate spurge. At least it didn't abandon me like bluegrass did last summer when the city ordered my lawn. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there's several years ago, Uh, There was an entity, I won't list the specific one, up in Cache Valley, which people can tour and walk through. Mm -hmm. And they had spurge and knotweed, Japanese knotweed, or just knotweed, prostrate knotweed everywhere. And we were kind of talking to them within another horticulture saying, you know, this is kind of spreading everywhere. And like, we know we love it. And because it tolerates the foot traffic and we don't have to water it. And like, oh, oh. I guess everything is situational, but. Unless you know, it's, the seeds are blowing into the nearby yes, neighbors. Yes, and that's the problem is that it could be blowing into neighboring farm fields and, and neighborhoods and things. And so it could be causing problems. That's hysterical. Uh, next person says, can they grow cilantro in the house during the fall and winter? If they have bright enough light, yes. Um, there are several systems out there that you can purchase online that are self-contained that you can grow herbs from or you can do it on your own, but you just need to make sure that you have sufficient lighting. Okay. Mel is on the line in West Jordan. Good morning, Mel. What was your question? I have some grapevines in my yard and uh, the hail 
knocked a lot of the leaves off and a lot of the grapes when they were just uh, developing. Now the grapes are just tiny. Uh, they're ripening, but they're only about the size of a pea. And I wondered what makes the grapes bigger. Is it water or fertilizer or? Well, how much of the leaves were damaged by the hail? Probably 30%. Okay. I mean, the tiny grapes could be a result of reduced energy production by the grapes' leaves. And so next year, if you don't get any more hailstorms, they will return to normal. And so I would just leave things alone. You may not get much of a harvest this year, but if you're not seeing any insect damage or gnats flying out of the grapes or anything. I think that it's just weather related and the heat and reduced photo, you know, area that can photosynthesize probably cause the smaller grapes. Okay. Well, thank you. All right, Mel, thanks for your call this morning. Uh, Next listener, Tom says they want to cut down an Eastern red bud tree. They want to know if they need to kill the stump before grinding the stump. Maybe. I mean, it would be worth doing if they've got a few weeks just going ahead and drilling into the trunk with a good half-inch paddle blade or a paddle bit to just make the holes into the trunk on a 45-degree angle, and they need to go in a couple inches and just pour. After you drill a hole, have someone go behind you and pour a couple tablespoons worth of concentrated lawnweed killer or glyphosate into those holes and let that soak for a week. And then that will greatly reduce the chances of the tree suckering up. That's a good plan. Uh, Next listener says this year, this is one of our common threads today. Uh, This year, their tomato plants grew nice, tall and green, but hardly any tomatoes. They want to know what they did wrong. It could be the heat causing a lot of problems. I know my personal tomatoes are not producing much because of the heat, But back off on the water a little bit. I'm not saying don't water the tomatoes, but if you're watering three times a week, back it off to two. If you're watering two times a week, maybe cut the irrigation back by 20 or 30 percent so that you don't kill the tomatoes. And that can stimulate some flower growth. Make sure that you if you are fertilizing them, stop fertilizing them, even with it. If it's with something like a miracle Grow product that is just a weekly maintenance dose of nutrients. Mm-hmm. We talked about this uh, earlier that my tomato plants were doing well. And you said my probably because of when I planted mine in comparison, we were going on a trip at the end of May. So I planted mine a little early and that seemed to have made a huge difference. Yes. And so because we had cool weather through May into June, those tomatoes grew well and had plenty of time to produce blossoms. And because they were bigger, they were self-shading and could keep producing blossoms on the insides of the plants that weren't killed by the heat. And so this year, and it's always a roll of the dice, mm-hmm. this year those that planted early have far more tomatoes than those that waited until June to plant. But it's tricky because oftentimes they can be hurt by cold weather when you plant yes, them. Yes, and that's the roll of the dice. Last year when we had the tomato apocalypse, <laughs> those that planted in June were the ones that got tomatoes. Those that planted in May were the tomatoes, tomatoes that were killed. Oh, my gosh. So then you just have to replant, right? Yes. At this time in the season, you don't want to be planting tomatoes. No. I, unless you have some way to grow them indoors, you really don't. I did notice that my patio tomatoes have stopped producing as many 
Why would they do that? They could be determinates where they produce a lot of tomatoes over a period of six weeks. Mm-hmm. And then they'll still produce. But yeah, just very few. Because they're determinate, they just will, you'll get a handful a week off of them. And that's really common for determinate tomatoes. If they were indeterminate, and those are the big monsters that get six or eight feet tall, those produce tomatoes over a longer period of time. But because you're wanting dwarf tomatoes, they're kind of bred to stop growing and you get fewer tomatoes after their main harvest. Well, this was all about your experiment, remember? Yes. Mm-hmm. So were these determinate? They or? were because they're dwarf tomatoes and you don't okay, want them so to get... Okay, so all dwarf tomatoes are determinate. They need to be because otherwise they'd get big. <laughs> Well, that makes plenty of sense, yeah. especially yeah. if you think it through. Obviously didn't think that through very well. Were no, you... <laughs> I meant no criticism at all. It's okay. You planted them. I don't know what they are, Tom. Well, that was I, the point I did of it. plant them and just shoved them over to your side of the <laughs> desk and said, take these home and grow them. And they've done so well. But it is true that early in the season, when you don't usually get tomatoes, right? They produce just a ton. Yes, and I now, started. Like, what those am I doing wrong? They're not in late January to mid February to get the early tomatoes. Mm-hmm. All right, we have to talk more about your experiment later because I want to hear about what you learned over the course of planting these. And you planted a whole bunch of different kinds, which yeah. is interesting. Okay, we're going to take a break for the bottom of the hour news. Number for you to call 801-575-8255. You can text us your questions at five seven five zero zero. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.